This week's podcast is supported by Dal Pozzo Advogados. Dal Pozzo represents some of Brazil's biggest infrastructure groups and helps foreign clients navigate the country's complicated legal and regulatory system. Before we start this week's show, I'd like to remind you that the Brazilian Report is funded by subscriptions and support from loyal readers, as well as subscribing to our website and getting exclusive daily content on Brazil and Latin America. You can also treat our staff to one to five cups of coffee a month. And in return, you'll get exclusive benefits like special newsletters and behind the scenes content, as well as a shout out here on our podcast. And today I want to thank our Banya Coffee members, Pan Ludwig, Leslie Seal, Caroline Hubert, Mark Hillary, John Thomas III, Louise Renz, Erwan, Orlando Black, Steve Knapp, Aaron Berger, James Coney, Kars Vrieswick, Alistair Townsend, Peter Abramson, Jim Awofadeju, Michael Fryer, Miller Renacido, David Dixon, Jose Ozi Stankovic, Emerging Market Muser, Yardin Iftach, Tornika Thompson, Anderson Da Silva, Kat Kramer, Peter Suffren, Anna Lund, and someone who chose to remain anonymous. If you too believe in the importance of independent journalism, and if you want to hear your name on our podcast, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report and subscribe to one of the membership tiers. And if you can't make a monthly commitment, you can still tip us the occasional cup of coffee to give us the energy we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil and a region as complex as Latin America. And we appreciate all your support. So click on buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report to find out more. If you had to pay attention to just one Brazilian company in order to get a decent handle on the country's economy, it would be oil and gas major Petrobras. Combined, its ordinary and preferential shares make up more than 12% of Brazil's Ibo Vespa benchmark stock index, meaning that if Petrobras has a bad day, the entire Brazilian market typically comes off looking bad too. But Petrobras isn't just a corporate heavyweight, it's also controlled by the Brazilian government which holds a majority share in the company. As such, watching Petrobras straddle its responsibility to the country and to its minority shareholders often gives a useful insight into the economic climate in Brazil. And on Tuesday, Petrobras made a massive announcement confirming that it has changed its pricing policy for fuels. My name's Ewan Marshall, I'm Deputy Editor at The Brazilian Report, and this is Explaining Brazil. And to discuss these latest developments at Petrobras, I'm delighted to welcome Fabiani Ziola Menezes, my fellow deputy editor at the Brazilian Report. Fabiani, when a company like Petrobras announces a change in how it sets its prices, why does everyone sit up and take notice? Well, even with the breakdown of the company's monopoly, a process that began in the late 90s, uh, Petrobras still controls more than 80% of the country's refining capacity. Uh, so that means that every price and decision from the company is uh, crucial to Brazil's domestic economy and the sector as a whole. Um, on top of that, we have the, the issue of how few prices are perceived by the population, the general population. 
high costs at the pump uh, typically make people angrier, has it's uh, an expense that most of the population has to deal with. Uh, during last year's presidential campaign, for example, uh, a poll by IPESP, which is a research institute here in Brazil, showed that voters uh, uh, first and foremost blame Petrobras itself for, for rising fuel prices, but also blame uh, then-President Jair Bolsonaro. No wonder Bolsonaro changed the company's CEO four times during uh, the, the last two years of his presidency. And before going into what the policy will change to, I mean, let's look at the current policy, which we've now had for the last seven years. So, you know, what is it? How does it work? And, you know, why was it chosen in the first place? Well, the, the current policy was adopted in 2016 under former President Michel Temer, uh, who followed Dilma Rousseff. The idea was for domestic prices to reflect uh, international oil fluctuations because Petrobras is not only a producer, an oil producer, uh, but it's also an exporter and importer of fuels, meaning uh, it has a complex fine-tuning process to carry out. So, so uh, international parity is something that would help the company to do this. But that policy is, has shown its shortcomings though, right? I mean, what do its opponents say? <laughs> yes, I mean, it, it leaves the country pretty exposed to international trends and uh, it diminishes any kind of, of control Petrobras, uh, Petrobras or the state could have over the fuels market. President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva has been critical of it, complaining that Brazil, uh, Brazil's fuel prices should be in Brazilian reais, not in dollars. And there have been a few examples of when this lack of control can really, you know, cause things to get out of hand, right? Uh, yes, there is. Uh, I mean, soon after the introduction of the international peg, the price changes went a bit mad. Typically, prices would change uh, on a monthly basis, but this became almost daily by mid-2017, uh, partly due to that instability truckers stage a massive strike uh, in the following year here in Brazil, which briefly ground the, the country to a halt. Hundreds of thousands of people paralyzing large parts of the economy. Flights are in danger. Potatoes, tomatoes, carrots, you name it, at, at supermarkets are running out. It's a disaster. I think it was the first time we saw the country truly come to a standstill, you know, truly stopping in the last few decades. And, and, well, it was because of fuel prices. And we've mentioned former President Jair Bolsonaro a few times already. And, you know, he wasn't exactly a big fan of the international peg either, was he? No, no, he wasn't. Bolsonaro kept the peg, uh, but became harshly critical of it when the price of fuel rocketed during the first half of last year, which was a electoral year. Uh, driving inflation up and, and, and threatening his chance of re-election. Um, then in the second half of the year, uh, the situation changed uh, a bit radically because Bolsonaro scrapped, decided to scrap federal taxes from uh, gasoline and, and ethanol prices uh, just a few months before the, the October's elections. Uh, as a result, gasoline prices fell like 
25% uh, last year compared to the previous year. And again, fuel prices are a sensitive matter. Uh, I think it, it's worth remembering that during uh, Dilma Rousseff's administration, uh, fuel prices were held down artificially. And indeed, that ended up uh, being more detrimental to Petrobras finances than the corruption schemes unveiled by the, the, the tax force, the anti, the task force, the anti-corruption task force, Operation Car Wash. And, and going back to Bolsonaro, uh, he kept firing CEOs to make sure he wouldn't shoulder the blame for more expensive fuel. And he even wanted to open a congressional inquiry suspecting the company was raising prices on purpose to make his government look bad. But crucially, he didn't make any real concrete steps to change uh, Petrobras pricing policy, uh, which now cannot be said of the current government. Thanks, Fabiani. And we'll have more on that, the current government, and what exactly is Petrobras' new pricing policy after this short break. Hello, this is Gustavo Ribeiro, Editor-in-Chief of the Brazilian Report. This week's podcast is supported by Dalpozo Advogados. Dalpozo represents some of Brazil's largest infrastructure groups and helps foreign clients navigate the country's complicated legal and regulatory system. During the May 10th Brazil Summit in New York City, an event hosted by the Financial Times and of which the Brazilian Report was a supporting partner, we caught up with Luiz Namura, a Brazilian engineer, serial entrepreneur and public speaker. And we discussed with Namura how Brazil can make the leap to become a developed nation. Our conversation was recorded in New York City and will be featured over the next few episodes. Luiz Namuda, thanks for joining us. So let's talk about Brazilian education. Because during the pandemic, digitizing the school environment was a need that many municipalities and states were unable to meet. And not just because of a lack of conditions, but also because millions of students simply did not have access to the internet or electronic devices for that matter. Uh, the education ministry, which should have centralized initiatives and guided states and municipalities, experienced a management blackout. Now the new federal government must get structures and programs back on track and address basic needs, ensuring learning at the right age, combating historic high levels of school dropouts, and expanding full-time education. How can these basic needs be met without forgetting that technology must be part of children's education? Very interesting question. Let me put first the scenario we have here in Brazil. More or less, two millions of children between 11 to 19 years old are out of school. If you try to solve this kind of problem, we must deal with the three points that are important points. Methodology technology, and teacher training, okay? You must change the methodology, putting the student in the center of the, the pro educational process. The technology, because the world we live, live with, with technology, and so the students must be in that world, especially 
in 10 years when he went to the market and need to, to work, he needs technology. But you must change the mindset of the teachers for the teachers understand that they do not need to give everything to the students, but he must challenge the students to get everything he needs. Right, but how can technology help close the historic gaps in Brazil's education system? Can you give us a practical example? Because even though the Brazilian education system has made strides in recent years, we're still miles behind developed countries or even neighbors like Chile. For example, there are many schools in the north of Brazil in which access by car or even by boat is difficult. And because of this, they don't have access to educational material of high quality. So if the schools had access to internet, they can access new and good educational materials that would be impossible without digital media. For example, we provide education for groups of indigenous in Bertioga, a city of Sao Paulo. It's only possible because the internet, access to internet. So we need to give for these guys, these students, access to internet. We have small groups of indigenous that they have their habits. So we provide for them access to internet with computers and they start to, 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 dry, to, to design everything they know, everything they, they, they do in a tribe and they do with paper or things like that, they do in, in the computer. So they start to think how the community today can get access to other technologies that would be impossible without, for example, internet. Well, that's a wrap for this week. Luiz Namuda, thank you very much for your insights. That's a pleasure for me. Now let's get back to the show. We're back with Fabiani Ziola Menezes, Brazilian Report Deputy Editor, Fabiani, the current Lula government came in all guns blazing with regards to Petrobras. It swapped out the board, the CEO, and now it's changed the company's pricing policy. So, you know, what explains this push? Uh, yeah. So Petrobras isn't state-owned. It's a private company controlled by the government. So it always has to walk this tightrope between its social role uh, to Brazil and its responsibility to shareholders. Um, Lula is pushing for the former, not the later. Uh, plus, he needs economic results and has to to tame inflation. So, uh, no wonder it changed the the, the Petrobras um, CEO and and later on uh, Jean Paul Prates, which is the new CEO of the company, changed uh, the entire majority of of the the, the directors of the company. Uh, actually, in, in anticipation of, of what came to be announced this week, uh, Jean-Paul Prates told reporter the week before that the company would continue to base its price on an international reference, but with no specific international parity. So he was anticipating the decision. And what exactly is this new policy then? I mean, can you break it down for us? Uh, Petrobras said... Uh, in a statement uh, on Sunday, it was interna internally discussing making changes to its pricing policy uh, for diesel and gasoline, and that 
uh, it would analyze uh, this this proposal uh, through its exec through its executive management team early this week, and that uh, uh, this could result in the new commercial strategy. They have been calling this change a commercial strategy, a new commercial a policy. Uh, well, then on Tuesday, uh, the company confirmed that it was changing uh, its pricing policy, uh, having uh, uh, and this pricing policy was approved uh, at a boarding meeting the day before. Uh, the new policy states that prices will have two factors uh, to be taken into account. Uh, the customer's alternative cost and Petrobras marginal value. So what do these terms mean? You know, alternative cost for the customer, marginal value for Petrobras. Have they given any indication to what they're actually talking about? <laughs> well, even it's hard to tell. I mean, in its statements, the company says the customer's alternative cost is about the customer's main supply alternatives. Uh, according to experts, this means that the company is now uh, willing to fight over the market, uh, a market it already dominates, uh, offering lower prices than its competitors, even if it's below what would be adequate in accordance with international prices, uh, if that's what it takes to win over uh, a deal, a new deal. Uh, at the same time, Petrobras said it will seek the best marginal value for the company without specifying uh, the number, what marginal costs it will pursue. The thing is that there is no formula or clear parameter anymore for investors and analysts to follow. And I think the company will have to come up with a better explanation in the next few days. And there have been complaints that this change will reduce price transparency. So why is that? With the, the previous policy, any change in, in international oil prices was a sign that prices would eventually change in Brazil as well, uh, sooner or later. Now there is less predictability. Uh, worse, I think that there is no clear mechanical relationship between the prices of the, the, the state control refineries uh, of Petrobras and the international market now. Uh, decisions seem to be more in the hands of Petrobras' new board, which means more room for, for government interference. And we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. Fabiani, how has the market responded to the change so far? Among investors, uh, the reaction has been good so far. The company's stock was up more than 3% uh, this Tuesday afternoon, the, the day of, of the announcement. Uh, I believe they see that the company's position uh, has as a giant in the sector, wanting to compete and increase margins, uh, and even Lula government's willingness to reinvest in refining and production as something that will generate even more billionaire returns for them. Uh, at the same time, some analysts expect more details about the changes, which is happening gradually as the issue, the issue reverberates in the market. And just to finish off, Fabiani, you know, where do we go from here? Because we've already seen Petrobras cut fuel prices on Tuesday afternoon. You know, they're certainly not wasting any time. Well, I mean, just hours after announcing 
the, the, the shift in policy, Petrobras decided to reduce diesel and gasoline prices at its refineries uh, here in Brazil by uh, 40, uh, uh, 40% each. Uh, at first, it was not clear if the decision followed the, the old of the new policy. Then, well, we asked the company about it and they... Uh, Uh, respond that it was already uh, a decision following the new policy. Uh, but you see, considering that Brazil is, is not self-sufficient in refining, uh, Petrobras won't be able to totally abandon some kind of parity with international prices. That's what economist Sandra Perfeito told Brazilian report. And I think that this is pretty obvious for most analysts too. Uh, for example, since Brazil imports around 25% of the diesel it consumes, uh, forsaking international parity could cause an imbalance in this market. Uh, I also talked with Adriano Pires, another economist specializing in the oil market, and he said that the more elements you use to determine fuel prices, which is the case now, the less transparency you have and the more risk you bring for the private sector to import. In other words, he's saying that Petrobras' decision increased the risks for all agents operating in the fuel market. Uh, so I think that things need to be better clarified and I think that all the market is expecting Petrobras to do so. Thanks for the explanation, Fabiani. We'll be sure to keep our listeners and readers up to date with all the coming developments regarding Brazil's biggest company. Thank you, Ian. Thank you for, for having me. And let's see what, what the next episodes of Petrobras would be. If you like Explaining Brazil, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It takes only a second and it will help us reach a wider audience. Or, better yet, sign up for The Brazilian Report, which is the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model, and your memberships fuel our journalism and keep us going and growing. And thanks to our subscribers, we've been able to cover Brazil and Latin America extensively, and for our work, we have won and been shortlisted for multiple international journalism awards. More recently, our newsletters were shortlisted in the Best Newsletters category in the America's Digital Media Awards by the World Association of Newspapers and News Publishers, and our competition, The Washington Post and The Financial Times. So keep your fingers crossed for us. And in order to keep doing that work, we need your support. So go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. This week's podcast is supported by Dal Pozzo Advogados. Dal Pozzo represents some of Brazil's biggest infrastructure groups and helps foreign clients navigate the country's complicated legal and regulatory system. I'm Ewan Marshall. Thanks for listening and Explaining Brazil will be back next week. <laughs>